Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I am a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Last time, we talked about first dates. But what happens if your date lied about everything, from their name to their age to their profession and marital status? Today, we have two very special guests with us who will talk with us about how they experienced and survived long-term catfishing. Catfish phenomenon first attracted broad attention via Nev Schulman's documentary and his MTV reality series by the same name. More recently, a lot of people became fascinated with the story of the Tinder swindler that many followed via the Netflix documentary. Schulman's work mostly deals with people who were catfished online before realizing upon the first in-person meeting that they're dealing with someone who looks totally different. And the Tinder swindler mainly hurt his victims via massive financial fraud. Our guests lived catfishing differently, yet had their existences upended no less than some of the victims our listeners may have seen on TV. We have with us today Jennifer, who has agreed to share her first name and is an academic living in the southwestern United States. Our other guest is Anna Rowe, a teacher in the United Kingdom turned anti-catfishing activist. Welcome to both of you. Jennifer, why don't we start with you? Tell us a bit about what you were up to at the time you met the man who later turned out to be your catfish. Sure. And thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So when I met my catfish, what was I doing? It was November of 2009. And I remember intentionally not dating for a while. So I had spent, I don't know, a good six months not dating. And I had kind of thought about, you know, not dating for a while. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night one night with this strong feeling that I should set up a match.com profile. So I took that as the universe telling me it was time, like I was ready right? I was waiting for a sign and the universe was telling me I'm ready. So right then and there in the middle of the night in November of 2009, I set up a match.com profile. And then shortly after that, I matched with my catfish and, uh, and the rest is a long five-year history of, of that. Well, we will try to do a condensed version of the five-year history, but I think that's really important that it took so long for the pieces to really fall into place about what was happening. But starting in the beginning, how did you match with this person? How did things end up developing between the two of you? So at the time I was a uh, doing my PhD work and I was um, studying kind of body modification and, and that kind of thing. And I remember I posted one of the questions on match.com at the time. I don't know what it is now, if they have that now, but, um, was the last book you read. Right. And so I noted the last book I read 
And it was kind of a niche book related to body modification that I was using for some of my research. And I matched with him. He reached out and kind of commented on that book. And so we hit it off right away. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, man, I should have seen the signs, right? Like, he, he liked too many of the same exact things that I did, right down to music, how we dressed, and art, and food, and all kinds of things. So it didn't take long for me to match and meet up with him. And we had our first date in December of 2009 and, you know, spent 10 days in Vegas in January of 2010 and we're kind of partnered uh, right away. Wow. Like even just hearing that, you know, a couple things stand out to me. One is you are studying for your PhD at the time. So, I mean, it really goes to show the boldness that these people who are willing to paint a false picture of who they are and what they have going on, it's not like they are, well, I guess they probably are in some ways being discriminant in their targeting, but it's not always in the ways we think. I mean, I guess I wouldn't imagine they would target a PhD student thinking that person you know, is very smart, but it just goes to show that the people who do this kind of thing truly think they're smarter than everybody. And, you know, your story starts in 2009. So we're now past a decade past that point. And I think at the time, there wasn't as much information out there. We didn't know how often this kind of thing happens. You know, I met my boyfriend in 2020 through the apps. And I had a reaction where his profile looked like it was made for me. I did wonder, I was, because I have seen enough catfish type of stories by now, I wondered enough to really think, could this man have seen my profile somewhere else, gone back and made a profile to look exactly like what I would want in order to attract me? And I was suspicious. He turned out, at least to my knowledge still, to not be a catfish. But I think what you said about the signs would be there, I mean, sometimes people really match on a lot of things. It's it's most often not somebody catfishing you, but sometimes it is. And so, so you guys met, it was a whirlwind romance. And so very quickly you were partnered. And so how long were things good? How long until there started being cracks in the facade. Oh boy. So (laughs) the most obvious cracks in the facade or what tuned me into, Hey, I need to do some more, some like in-depth research and actually kind of pay for a background check actually happened after we had a baby and she was, I don't know, she was walking. So probably 18 months old. So this would have been in 2013. So late 2013. So it was, it was that long. It was 2009 to 2013. And what happened or the obvious red flag was that she had his phone and it was, she was walking around with it. He was helping me uh, dismantle her furniture to move it into a, a different bedroom or whatever. Um, And she had his phone and was walking around and I saw that it was unlocked and I was like, oh, oh, we don't want to, you know, 
mess with dad's phone and she actually had it opened to the messages, text messages. And I saw like, these were very obviously like text messages to another woman Mm. where they had, you know, and I'm scrolling up and I'm looking and I'm like, wow, we don't really like talk to our friends that way. And so that, you know, I confronted him about it and he made up some lies. What did he say? And there was, Oh, he said, so he, I will say that like the, he was truthful in terms of being a catfish about like, I knew his employees. I knew his neighbors at the boat Marina. I like the, the only, he was honest about his name, where he grew up, um, his kid names, but he wasn't honest about being married, right? He was married the entire time, almost the entire time we were together. So he had this whole other family, along with having a family with me and treating my own children like they were, right, a part of our family. Uh, yeah, so... Now, so what did he say when you confronted him about the messages? When I confronted him about the messages, he told me that this person was a nurse at the hospital that he was trying to get a contract with, right? And so he was trying to get an in from her, right? She was some gatekeeper that would kind of get him in with the right people so that he could secure this contract for his company, And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, but we don't tell people that we're trying to do business with that we love them. And we don't go over to their houses and have a nice cozy dinner. There are just some some holes here. So enlighten me, help me understand, make it make sense, right? Um, And so then he sort of backpedaled and blamed it on me. So at that point, it was my fault that he had turned to this person because I wasn't as affectionate or as loving or as caring as I had been. Man, imagine that with a toddler toddling around, you didn't have the time to be as affectionate or as fully attentive to him as you had been before. My goodness. Yeah. So did that end up like actually making you feel guilty or is that the point which you were like, no, let me keep digging into this. Uh, I felt guilty for about 10 seconds. And then I was like, you need to leave because this is just not, this isn't okay. And at that point, I kind of, I spent a lot of time in survival mode at this point of my life, I think, because I was, you know, doing my dissertation research. And because I was, a sole parent to, you know, three other kids in addition to my baby, our baby. And so I, a lot of it, I, I didn't know how to process it really. If I'm being honest, because, because what it meant was the, the last four ish years of my life had been a lie. Right. Mm. And at that point I didn't know he was married still. So all I knew was that he had cheated on me with this other woman. And it was at that point that I started to do the digging. 
So what did you find out? So when did you find out that he's married and like he's married? Is he still in a relationship with this person? Is it a marriage in name only? I wound up going online and it like I knew his alleged ex-wife's first name, which I knew her last name because his last name. And it was at that point, whenever Facebook opened up their search abilities, like previously you couldn't search like people could make it so you couldn't search for them in Facebook. Well, they opened that yeah. up. Um, and so what I did was I searched for her. I searched for the ex-wife and I found her and her profile picture was a yellow house with a, like a Halloween decoration skeleton. So I was like, okay. So then I went from there and I looked up property records in the state that we were in uh, and I found their home and I, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't where he kind of said he lived and this isn't where he said she lived. So then I called him middle of the night. I called him and I said, Hey, who lives at, and I gave him the address and he said, my wife and daughters. And I said, so let me make like, let me get this clear. Like you made me a mistress without my permission. You're married. And at that point he, he was like, well, I'm not married anymore. They had just been going through divorce at that same time that I was making these discoveries. So obviously some chaos was happening in his world where he couldn't keep stories straight enough or keep his, you know, just enough of the truth in the lies to keep me believing it. And so there were enough holes for me to kind of be motivated to seek out more clarity. And then, yeah, that's how I well, found thank out. Thank goodness for that, I guess, yeah. that there was enough enough there that you were like, let me go digging for more. And that's what you found. And so you said he was only getting divorced four years or so after you met. So was there a time then, as far as you're aware, that he was with both of you? Like, how did he maintain this? Was he out of town a lot? So yeah, so he owned his own company and he had a houseboat. So on the summers we lived on his houseboat and he had told me that in 2010 summer of 2010 he and his ex-wife uh, were from california and so one of my first questions when i met him was how did you get your ex-wife to move to the midwest from california he basically said it's because i pay the bills which I thought was, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. I think he was able to maintain it for so long because he had the economic resources to maintain it for so long. So he owned his own business and it was in kind of like the tech creative sector. And so he had, you know, an office and the office had a full kitchen and a shower and a couch. And so it wasn't unusual for him to sleep there. Mm. And then he at one point moved and expanded into a larger space 
where he was able to make it more like an apartment. That first summer we were together, he mentioned that his ex-wife and daughters were going back to California to visit family. And so that kind of kept me out of wondering where he was Mm -hmm. or where they were or why he wasn't parenting. Right. Right. So with them kind of out of the picture, anytime he was away from me, you know, he was working and then, you know, the school year started and I was like, well, aren't they coming back? (laughs) And he he told me they decided to just stay there, that they wanted to stay there because her dad was there and she needed to take care of her dad because he was sick. And I was like, and that ended up being a lie. That was totally a lie in the end. Totally a lie. Like they totally came back and (laughs) yeah. So that's how he was able to sort of make it believable. Right. I knew he had a high stress, job that required a lot of time from him, you know, just the kind of job it was. It's not unusual for tech bros to be (laughs) sleeping at the job and, you know, making it a 24 seven kind of thing. So I, I bought it. But also when it came apart and when you confronted him and he admitted to having still the wife and that she was not in California and you said, So you made me a mistress unwillingly. I mean, remarkable that you were just calling him out on all of this because you see in some of the documentaries that we've seen that they can continue to convince for longer and that there is such a, I'm suspicious, but he's saying just the right thing that I'm going to stick around and hope for the best. But you were able at that point to say, no, that was the end of it for you with him. It wasn't the end of it, actually. Um, So I'm not going to lie. 2014 and 2015 are a a blur for me. And I think that's because I really wanted to make it work. I wanted to make it work for our daughter. Not because I didn't want to raise her alone or I wasn't willing to raise her alone, but because I didn't want that for her. She and he were super close, right? Like he was an intensive parent for the first part of her life. I didn't want to give up on that so easily. I get it. You have somebody who is a good dad for your child and we tend to put our children above all else. So you were really trying to make this work for her for the sake of their relationship. And what you said about it being a blur too. I mean, yeah, because you've been through a major trauma. (laughs) That's what happens afterwards is things become very hazy and blurred together in survival mode. And so, so it went on a bit longer. What allowed you to finally break free from this situation? I had to confront like my time limit with my PhD research. I was paralyzed like intellectually paralyzed for a while where I wasn't able to do my research and writing and that became a problem. So I sought out a grief therapist and she was able to sort of help me work 
through and grieve the loss, right? Understand it as this really happened. It's okay that it happened. It's not your fault that it happened. Let's help you understand how, you know, you were attractive for this person. What made you a good target for this person? And how can you grieve that loss, really? Grieve the loss and come through it better. Amazing. And so in your work with your therapist, that was enough to make you end things with him? Yes. So that was my, for my 40th birthday present to myself. I, (laughs) I basically told him I could not do that anymore, that the, the lies were too much because the lies didn't stop. They were about other things. And so I had just had enough and I decided that this is how it's going to be. And I'm going to go about this on my own and I can do this on my own and, and And I, and I'm doing it right. (laughs) Yeah, you are that gosh. And so we definitely want to talk to you, Jen, and to each of you about what life is like on the other side of this experience, but we haven't heard Anna's story yet. So I think let's bring Anna into the conversation and then we'll come back and talk about where you are each at now with things. Yeah, so Anna runs the website catchthecatfish.com now. Uh, She and I first got in contact with each other when we were both being interviewed by Canadian radio and uh, and British television when catfishing had become a hot topic some years back. And what was your life like when you met your catfish? Can you tell our listeners? I had been off of the dating scene for about a year and a half. Um, I'd split up with my children's partner quite some years before. Um, I was five weeks pregnant when I found out that he'd been having an affair. Turned out it was a mum at our eldest son's school. Took me a while, but I am one of those investigators that digs until they find the truth. And six months later, I discovered it was the mum at the school. And uh, they stayed together. He's never even met our youngest son. Um, I didn't date for quite a while. And then decided, um, being a single working mother, looking after both kids 100% of the time, because that's the way things had worked out, um, that online dating was going to be the only way that I was going to meet somebody. Because I just didn't have the time capacity to be, you know, out and about meeting someone by chance and meeting someone in a supermarket wasn't going to work. So... I tried online dating. I started off on Guardian Soulmate. So the Guardian newspaper used to run. um, It started as the adverts in the back where, like, someone seeking. Oh, yeah. So uh, it was was that kind of scenario moved on to the apps when they first came out. And I thought to myself, right, I'm going to do a month on each. I'm going to sign up for, like, the free month on each app and see if there's a different demographic on the different types of apps that there were so I did Guardian Soulmates 
didn't really meet any, didn't see anybody, chatted with a couple of guys, moved on. I tried match as well, like you did, um, elite singles. And then what I started to notice was that when you were putting in a range of filters, it was bringing up almost the same faces on every app because everyone was doing the same. Everyone was trying every app and you put in the same filters, the distance, age, da 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 and you were just getting the same set of faces every time. So um, Facebook at the time had just joined up with Zoosk. So I thought, oh, well, let's try that one. And I met quite a few guys. We just chatted with quite a few guys on there. And I'm still friends with some of the guys. There wasn't that that chemistry click there. Um, I was, and I just became really good friends with a few that I am still friends with. And then a guy came up, messaged me, never looked at the picture and I was like not my type at all very very persistent met him he's not my catfish but two and a half years later after we'd chatted for three months and then met and we were literally together and seeing each other every every week from that moment unfortunately personal circumstances met and that that didn't last and we still chat um, he's he's probably I would say my one great relationship out of all my adult relationships. It was really upsetting when that finished. So I left it a year and a half again, and then thought, right, online dating worked for me before. I'm going to give it a go again. So went back onto Zeusk. There wasn't anybody this time, and then I had friends saying, "Have you tried Tinder?" So I was like, "I'm not going on that app. It's a hookup app." And they went, no, 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 it's different now. You'll find that people are normally quite open about what it is that they want. They'll say whether they just want to hook up. They'll say whether they're just trying to meet new friends. They'll say if they're looking for a long-term relationship, just go on and have a look. So I set up a profile, put in the filters, and there was the whole set of faces of the people I was still chatting to from Tusca as well as loads of other people, lots of recognised faces. Swiped on a couple, not many, I have to say, just swipe on a couple. And then one particular morning, seven o'clock in the morning, I had this match come up on my phone. And I was actually like, oh, it's him. And it was, I'd swiped on a few. And he was probably the one that from the picture that I was least interested in. That sounds a bit superficial, but it was the bio, the wording on the bio that had really hooked me in. And it's like you were saying, it's as if the person had written it for what you wanted. It was the classics now that make me go, honest, thoughtful, not afraid to show my emotions. You know, all this kind of thing, looking for a long-term serious relationship (laughs) All of those, you know, those hooks. He said that he was divorced, said that he was a businessman. So this was the other thing that right from the get-go, he was setting the scene for how things would be. So it had on the profile that he he worked in legal aviation and that he travelled abroad quite a lot. So live life on a plane, that kind of the message was hi Anna my name's Anthony where are you based and so 
I then said, oh, I'm in Canterbury, where are you? Da, da, da. And um, the, the conversation started. We chatted for quite a while. And then he, I think we chatted on the app for about three weeks. It wasn't very quick at the beginning. It was more of a slow burn. And then we decided to exchange phone numbers because he said he'd like to talk on the phone. So we chatted, we chatted a couple of times on the phone over the next three months, but it was a little bit on and off. So again, when I look back now in hindsight, it was almost like he was doing that, getting you hooked and then going quiet so that you were like, oh, I thought we were getting on really well. And then it makes you want, doesn't it? What did I do wrong? Have I done something wrong? Why doesn't he want to talk to me anymore? And it's that whole, you know, donkey and carrot thing. So he randomly, after we hadn't talked for about two weeks, two or three weeks, he randomly texted me kisses. And I just sent back a cheeky text trying to be a little bit sarcastic saying, who's that Father Christmas? And then we started chatting again. And then it went a little bit quiet. And then all of a sudden, I downloaded WhatsApp. I've never had it before. And his number brought up a picture of him on his profile on WhatsApp. And I looked at the picture and it was obviously, it was different from the one on his dating profile. There was only one picture of him on the dating profile, which was, that's why it it wasn't a particularly enticing picture. It was just a black and white picture of a guy in a suit and it looked like a corporate image. And everything that he told me about himself kind of agreed with that scenario. But we joked that it was an old picture, that it was like from 15 odd years ago, which a lot of people do. This picture was what I would have said was a more age realistic picture. And it was actually so much nicer than the picture on the app. But, you know, when you look closely, there were signs there that that matched. It was obviously an Indian guy down to the dimple in his chin. The picture on the app had the guy had a dimple in his chin. And there was a lot that you could go, actually, that does look a bit like him. He's just aged. You know, his hair's got a bit greyer now and and stuff like that. And it was so much nicer, the picture, that I messaged and I said, you've got really gorgeous eyes because that's what really stood out on um, this picture. And he messaged back and he said, and? And then that was it. We started talking again. And within a week, that's when we met. So it was sort of three months down the line at that point. We'd started chatting 15th of August, middle of August, and it was the beginning of November that we met for the first time. As I said, before we met, he'd already set the scene that he was a father of three boys, that he was divorced, that he'd been divorced for 12 months, and that he was just starting out on the dating scene that his work life was that he worked in London all week. Um, So he was away from home. And the arrangement that he had uh, with his ex-wife was that he would have his boys at the weekends when he could drive back up to Yorkshire. He said he lived in Harrogate and that that's where his parents' house were. And because of the way things were, he he used to collect his boys from Leeds and then they would stay with him and his parents their grandparents at the weekend and then he travels back up to London in the week I'm about an hour away from London where I am so he also then said that in the business that he worked in he dealt with legal contracts with some 
airports and the, the airlines that work within the airports and that that meant that he had to travel to Europe on a regular basis to be able to deal with those the clients that they had. So I fully expected the kind of time scale that we had together. I knew that I wouldn't see him at the weekends. He also knew that my children's father was completely undevoted to his kids. He was telling me, you know, this wonderful thing about his whole weekend after work, his whole weekends were spent with his children. He seemed like the ultimate devoted dad. I was never going to question that he was taking that time out to spend, you know, devoted to his kids and his family. It was completely opposite to, you know, my my children's father. So it worked on a kind of rotor basis almost. I would see him two or three days one week and then the following week I'd either see him perhaps one evening or not at all depending on his workload and then at weekends I knew I wouldn't see him because he was traveling you know the five six hours to get up to the north of the country and that's how our relationship went on we did that for six months very quickly it was around four or five weeks in he told me that he loved me and when I like someone, and we're all different, the way, you know, the way that things work with us, aren't they? And it's not often that I have a connection with someone. And when I fall for them, I fall fast and I fall hard. But I've learned in the past that that can be a real put off to some people. And so I tend to hide that because I don't want to scare people away. So the fact that he came forward first, telling me those emotions was like, it was it was amazing. But the first time that I saw him, similar to what you were saying, Jen, I almost felt like, I thought my Facebook was completely private. Now again, looking back, I realized that my likes for music, TV programs, that kind of thing were public and I hadn't realized and we never connected on Facebook but they were there and the first night that he came we were you know doing the chatting of getting stuff you know getting to know each other more and he talked about the Waltons you must know the Waltons over there it came from the States didn't it well that used to be my favorite TV show as a kid and we started to chat about the Waltons. He was going, oh my God, that's my favorite program. And my sister's named after Elizabeth. She's called Liz. And and he said, I'm just glad my mum and dad didn't call me John Boy. (laughs) And it was that exact, creating that mirror image, that soulmate connection. You're like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is what I've been waiting for. And I think, you know, it was Cecile on the Tinder Swindler that explained I, I just sat there nodding while I was I was listening to her say, as females, and when we're little girls, we are fed the fairy tale. And if you're that way inclined, you dream of that romance, you know, that once in a lifetime romance where your prince is going to come along and it's all just going to fall into place and everything's going to be great. And that's what all of a sudden this felt like and I've never had that before with anyone and I have really low self-esteem and self-doubt I always have done and it doesn't matter how many amazing people around me have said you shouldn't be like that you know you're really excellent at this you're 
you're really beautiful, you're really intelligent. I'll sit there and go, oh yeah, yeah, I know. But I'd never believe it inside. And somehow this guy broke through that and I started to have the, you know, the the constant, I know now, love bombing and that constant affection and affirmation and, and everything else really broke through. And I started to have some confidence about myself that I'd never, ever had as an adult before. And coming out the other side of it, like you, when I discovered that he wasn't who he said he was, that was probably one of the hardest things for me to get over was that not only was I losing a relationship, I was grieving the loss of a relationship. I was grieving a human that never existed and the reality that everything that he'd fed me to give that confidence was based on lies. And so that was completely stripped away as well. And it's really true that they say when you've been dating a narcissist, which, you know, my therapist told me that he obviously was, you have to grieve twice because you're grieving a loss of relationship and you're grieving the loss of the person that you thought you loved that doesn't exist. And it's almost like going through the grieving process twice. And it's crazy. And much like you, Jen, after six months, I'd been quite poorly and he'd come to see me. And literally the last time I saw him was our six month anniversary. And I was quite poorly and he was due to come back that night. And then he phoned in the day and said that he wasn't feeling that well and he was going to stay home and get, you know, try and get better. And I was almost quite pleased because I felt really rough. And then within these six months, there'd been, let's have a think about the dates. So I didn't see him much over Christmas and I very nearly ended it with him. So we started seeing each other at the beginning of November Christmas had come and he was away for three weeks, Christmas with his family, which I was fine about. And and that was over my birthday as well. But he'd been really, really quiet. And I was, you know, starting to think, because I'd had a little bit of this confidence built up in me, I was like, I don't know that I should have to put up with almost being blanked. And uh, when he finally was coming, just about a week after my birthday, I was all set to finish with him. I was all set to finish with him. And... He came in and it was almost as if he could read my mind and what I was going to say to him before I said it. But he had been like this for the majority of the time that I knew him. He always knew just what to say. And we went into the kitchen. I was making a cup of tea and he came and put his arms around me from behind. And he then said to me, you never guess what happened over Christmas, babes. And I was like, what? And he said well, you know that film we watched, it came on the telly and it came on and I went, oh, I've already seen this with that. And he said, and my mum was there and my family and they all went, who's ah? And he said, and so I've told them about you and they're really excited to meet you. And mum said that you've got to come to the family wedding in June and all this stuff. And then that was it. That was me. Oh, he's serious about me. And that was it. All thoughts of ending it went out of my mind. And that night we arranged to make up for a weekend, our first weekend away together on Valentine's Day. We were going to go away. and um, But then sure enough, a week before the trauma bomb was dropped and he turned up 
at my house. He looked really drained and he stood literally just outside my by my kitchen door and he had tears in his eyes and I said, what on earth is the matter? And he said, my mum's been diagnosed with cancer and I just don't know what to do. She's, you know, she's, she's, I've got to take her for tests at Nuffield, which is a private hospital. Of course, I've Googled all that afterwards. All, that all rang true. He seemed to know the symptoms really, really well. But of course, that put an end to our weekend away because I was never going to pressure him to be doing something when he was dealing with something so traumatic. And over the next few months, I say then it was May was the last time I saw him. And then Brexit happened. Anna, could you tell us about the revelations and the aftermath? Because you found other women in your situation that had been victims of the same man and you all banded together and started thinking about legal steps. So I think our listeners probably want to hear about that. So tell us about all that. It was five months I didn't see him for. I'd actually said to him, don't come to me. In October, I'd got really suspicious and paranoid because he'd got a lot quieter. I loaded my app up and found him very quickly, his profile on Tinder, although it had been updated. And it was literally within the next couple of weeks. I didn't realise that I had, I'd swiped on his picture when I found it. And then I'd deleted the app again. And he said that he didn't realise because he deleted the app off his phone and that the profile was still there. Two days later, when I hadn't heard from him after challenging him, I put the app on my profile again and there was a match and a message but it wasn't my picture on the profile that I'd set up again it I so you set up a catfishing profile to catch the catfish I did it was I mean it had my name on it and my age and my location but I'd put a stock image on it and that was something to know later on that he was grooming and matching with so many women that he did not notice it was my name, my age, my location. Oh, my God. So he messaged me. And what hit me most quickly was that the script was identical. Mm. It was absolutely identical. But it was moving much more quickly. Mm-hmm. And he wanted off onto WhatsApp very quickly this time. And I didn't have a number, so I borrowed my dad's phone and then messaged him and the next night I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore after like he was telling me all these stories but this time his ex-wife was a druggie and that's why he'd left she was a crazy that's what I was you know that's what I was getting fed this time and I was in disbelief instead of the phone call he was leaving voice messages but it was the same thing on whatsapp it was the voice messages instead of the phone call and in the end, I just, I was talking to him as me on my phone as well. So I had both phones on my lap and I was going backwards and forwards. And I couldn't cope with it. That's how crap I'd be at doing this to people lying. I just wasn't coping after an hour of doing this. And I sent him one of those poster quotes that said, you know, if people got paid for being liars, some people I know would be millionaires. And then said goodbye to him and sent him pictures of me on that chat and I just I said goodbye to him then and he sent kisses and then blocked me on there 
and I was like wow and I think I was I was stunned at that point I was more I was completely numb like oh my god what just happened and then my, my first thought was I've been played I didn't know anything more you know at that time I was just like I've been played but something was really bugging me and you know that gut instinct started having more prevalence and I thought right I'm gonna I just realized I didn't really know that much about him I'd I believed what he told me, who he was, where he lived, you know, everything else. But I would never have pressured him into more because of the trauma situation that he'd created with his mum. So I started to type in his name and legal because he hadn't ever said what company he worked for, just that he worked in legal in aviation. And I realised I couldn't find him. And I was like, if you're a solicitor, aren't you going to have a profile online? And I started looking around and couldn't see anything with that name. And I was using like 192.com, which I think is a bit like your white pages that you have over there where you can put things in. Nothing was nothing was coming up. And because I'd found that profile again and I'd screenshotted that particular picture that he used on his dating profile, I ran all of the pictures that I had of him that had been sent of him through. I just literally learned then about Google reverse search. This was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, none of his pictures were coming up. And the last one that I ran through was the one from the dating profile. And it came up as being the Bollywood actor, Safe Ali Khan, from about 15 years ago. And but it was a colour picture, not a black and white one. And I was like, what the hell? I'd never heard of catfishing. And I looked up this actor and some of the stuff that the actor was saying about his childhood was similar to what Tony had said to me. And I didn't know whether he'd blocked my number from his entire phone, but I took the chance of text messaging because we also text messaged. And I said, say, Fally Khan, what the hell? And then he messaged back and said, you knew all along. And I was like, sorry, what do you mean I knew? And we we had a, a weird conversation, but something at that point started obviously really bugging me. And I thought there's something really off about this. And I started digging more and more. And I thought, you've been in my house on your own. And I had friends saying to me, what if he's gone through your financial things and you're going to suddenly find out six months down the line that you've got a loan taken out? you know, on your mortgage or in your name or you don't know who he is. And I really needed to start getting some control back. I was spiralling mentally about what had gone on and I needed to find out who he was. He'd met my kids, you know, he'd been in my house, he knew all about my family. And so I thought, right, well, if I found you once on Tinder, I'm going to be able to find you again and I'm going to see if I can find you and get more information about you and see what your game is. So literally over the next six weeks, I'd hired a private investigator, gave them everything that I had. They came up with nothing. The only thing I had that was real about him was his number plate, but we can't do searches on those here for privacy reasons. So that was the only thing I had. And they literally, it was only a couple of hundred pounds that I paid, but they came up with nothing. But the whole time she was saying to me, keep in touch with him. If he gives you more information, feed it back. I thought I could do a better job of this myself. So I was matching with him on Tinder with 
some friends, with help of friends, just put in like one stock image on each one. And it was so easy to match with him. And it just showed how how much he was doing. So six times I matched with him. And what I was doing was tracking the location distance on the app. because It's got wow. the, the kilometres. And what I built up a pattern over the weeks every time I was matching with him and collecting little bits of information to see how much his story changed, if it changed, where he said he was living, that kind of thing, which all changed dependent on where I said I lived. So he was working that around sort of that. Mm. And I noticed that he was like 74 kilometres from my house in the daytime. And then at weekends, he was 335 kilometres from my house. But it was the evenings that it was completely random. It could be a lot more, a lot less, but it was never a pattern. So I kind mm. of ascertained from that that, it was work at 72 kilometres, whatever it was, and that Yorkshire, which was up that end of the country, was where he was at weekends, but didn't know exactly where. And then I thought that all the reverse psychology that he'd been using on me, I was thinking about, he'd mentioned on the phone when he was coming to me that he'd come through the Blackwall Tunnel, which is a, a tunnel that goes under the Thames River here up near London and he said that they had offices in Canary Wharf and I did a radius search on a map and that distance fell in line with that so it was a dark November night you know this much later that two years later that would have been that I just got in the car with a friend and said I'm going up that way and I traveled up that evening got to the entrance of the Blackwall Tunnel and suddenly saw the sign for an airport here. I won't say which airport it was uh, because it would give it away to everybody. But there was a sign for an airport there. And I suddenly looked at it and I went, that's the one airport that he's never mentioned that he's been to. He's there. Knowing the way that his thinking, you know, was. And so I said, I'm going. Tune in next time to find out what happened when Anna went to the workplace of her catfish. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast to not miss that episode. Please leave us a five-star rating so others can enjoy this podcast as well. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing and Vlad Kujuklu for allowing us to use his music on this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.